We are all about causes. There is a cause you can pour every ounce of your strength into, and in the end, you will find yourself more alive than at the beginning. We want to help you discover this ultimate cause. This is Truth Encounter, a program committed to helping you discover the biblical Jesus for yourself. Today's lesson is based on Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 through 9. Let's join our study leader, Dave Wordson, for the conclusion of A River Runs Through It. You need to look at nature as being part of the book, part of the book of Revelation that the real God is giving you. But you need to read it carefully. Because right now, as you look at God's revelation in nature, you see little glimpses of the way that things should be. So when the sunlight hits a beautiful Montana Creek, you capture a little vision of the beauty. When you see a beautiful sunset going down over Big Bend, you get some of the beauty of what eternity is going to be. But also, you'll suddenly go to an area that used to be beautiful, and now it's completely burned out. And all the trees are turned to charcoal. And everything that was alive is dead. And you find out that, man, there's another twist in nature right now. And there's a horror in nature. And there's a deadly violence in nature. Like I have a sweet little pussycat. And, and my sweet little pussycat is nicknamed Fluffy. And, and you can pet her and everything else. But, man, the last two days, she brings beautiful birds that are just a pile of feathers up on my back doorway. And she just tears them to smithereens. They are just a pile. Just the head is there. I could make a horror movie out of what my cat does to birds. <laughs> so if you want to worship nature, if you want to worship nature, you need to be careful what you're really going to worship. Because what the Bible says is, yeah, there's a beauty in nature and God's handiwork is in nature, but we live in a cursed world. And that's why there's sickness, and that's why there's death, and that's why there's that ugly violence. And yet, like when I talked about the forest fires of Montana, when you go back in the springtime, the wildflowers will come out, and what God is telling you, that in the midst of the curse, there can still be a redemptive life. And what all of nature is really crying out to us is saying, it's not the way it ought to be here yet. And there's a lot of things that are still under that need healing. And what John the Apostle wants you to know is that ultimately you're going to be in a place where there's healing forever. The idea of the nations being able to come to be healed is not that they're going to need to come and eat of this tree forever and ever and ever to keep disease away from them. But it's a symbol of, man, there's total healing because everyone is healed forever and you're living in this perfect paradise. I want you to see that it says that these trees are for the healing of the nations. I want to talk to you about something really important. Because we're going to be tempted to feel as we, as we get involved in various causes, we can sometimes feel like, what's the greatest thing that we can do for the world? What's the greatest thing we can do to help people out? If you're a committed Bible-believing person, then what you understand is the greatest thing you can do for the nations is to bring the person of the living God, to bring Jesus into their lives. You see, the ultimate tree of life, you see, the tree of life is what generates this fruit. And what we are doing in this passage, we're going back to the Garden of Eden. 
There was a river that ran through the Garden of Eden. There was a tree of light that the Lord had to bar them from eating. But what John is telling us that now at the end of the Bible, that that curse has been eliminated, and now all the nations can come and eat of the tree of life, and they have healing forever and ever and ever. The greatest thing that we can do to the nations now is to get the message out, to realize that Jesus is the tree of life. He's the living vine. He's the fountain of living water. John wants us to understand that Jesus is the one that all of these realities in heaven point to. What I want you to, to get a hold of is you think about this picture. The way that you, what's around you in space, what's around you physically, points you in different directions. And what this city does is everything points us to the throne of God. The radiating jewels glorify God. They reflect God's glory. The stream reminds us of the, of the living water that Jesus gives us forever and ever. The tree of life, like a beautiful fruit tree that never, never had its leaves fall off and never, never is without fruit. A, a tree that's verdant forever and ever reminds us that in Jesus we find a life that's going to be satisfying us and giving us sweet pleasure forever and ever and ever. That's what this text is about. It's about, number one, a river who's centered in the throne of God. Second of all, it's about a tree it's about a tree that produces fruit forever and ever, that brings healing to all of us forever and ever and ever. And then the third thing it talks about is that the curse is going to be removed. What we've just been talking about, the fact that we now presently live in a world where there is a curse. Look what he says in the next verse, verse 3. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. No longer will there be any curse. That's one of the greatest promises that's in all the book of Revelation. And it's what I've just been referring to. We live in a world where the curse is very much still with us. The ultimate curse is the curse of sin and of death. And that's why, like a lot of you with your unbelieving friends, a lot of your unbelieving friends will say, well, I'm not going to believe in God. I'm not going to believe in Jesus because if there really is a good God, then why is the world in such a mess? I want you not to be afraid of that question. I want you to realize that your friend that runs off to Montana to enjoy the mountain stream, just ask him some questions. How do you explain that grizzly bears just suddenly meet people along the trail and tear them apart? You're worshiping nature. Why is that a bad thing? Why is that such a horrible thing? Does it bother you when someone is just mauled by a grizzly bear? And your friend will say, yes, it really, it really bothers me. And then you'll say, well, why does it bother you? And they'll begin to say, well, it bothers me because people should be able to live. And there shouldn't be that kind of violence that just chaotically just breaks forth. And that's what makes me so upset and makes me angry because I see all these injustices. I'll say, well, who gave you the idea of injustice and who gave the idea of justice? Why do you have this kind of moral realities deep inside of you? Where do you think those came from? Did nature give those to you? As you're studying the, the book of nature, do you see morals and justice and things like that follow there? No. You see a dog-eat-dog -dog world, and you see this a violence that's in the world. But you also know, there's also a part of you that as you look at nature, sees glimpses of the way of beauty and of awesome, wondrous things and, and creativity. Where do you think that came from? Like, look at some of the animals. Look at the incredible creativity in putting together those animals. Like they go to the zoo 
and just think about, you know, would probability and chance ever generate a giraffe with an incredibly long neck and that little bitty head? Who would ever come up with something like that? Or a, or a rhinoceros. Can you imagine coming up with a template of a rhino? And what God is doing in nature is saying is there's this great creativity, but your friend that just worships nature and just stops there can't give you any explanation for why there's the hitch in it. Why is there the problem in it? Then what? Automatically we jump to God and say, well, I don't like God because I don't like what he's done. And that's the curse. The curse is what generated all this death. And what I want you to know is that God, our Heavenly Father, and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit is not the author of the curse. God's not the one who caused death and ugliness and disease and all that. God's not the source of that. You say, well, Dave, well, he's the ultimate God and he's sovereign over all things. That's right. But the Bible's very, very clear that God the Father is overseeing it, that he's running the story, but it also presents us a God who gave to human beings the freedom to make a choice to walk away from him. He gave them the freedom that their choices would really count for something. He gave them the freedom that if they didn't want to live under his care in the garden, they didn't want to receive goodness from him, if they wanted to walk away from him, they were given the right. They were given the freedom. You want to have freedom? God is the one that really gives you the freedom. He's the one that gives you the freedom to be able to even walk away from him. God won't zap you with lightning and make you trust his son and make you believe that he's the living water and make you believe that the, that the tree of life is ultimately found in Jesus. He'll let you wander out of here and do pretty much what you want to do and let you live in the world the way you want to live. He'll try to reach you, but, but one of the things about our relationship with the living God, every single one of us, as we think about the way that God has dealt with us, he respects our will. He respects our personality. And that's what the Bible explains, is that God allowed the human race to make a choice to walk away from him. So if you're going to get mad at someone, if you're going to get angry at someone, you need to get mad at the evil one, Satan, who's our adversary. You also need to get mad at that evil inside of you because you can sin and I can sin really well just on our own. We don't need Satan to make us sin. So if you want to get angry with someone, why is there disease in the world? Why are there terrible actions in the world? Why is there, you know, why is there all this suffering and murderous violence that can break forth? And why is there all the agony of immoral relationships? Why is there cursing? Why is there all these bad things in the world? Why is there war? And you don't have to look very far. It's right here inside of our heart. Evil is inside of our heart. And evil generates the curse of death. And we live in a world right now, like, it's why we can't just live for this present world, because this present world is under the curse of death. That's one of the most powerful things that the Bible reveals about the world that we're living in right now. And all of us are being tempted to say, no, this world is just fine, everything is great. I have a friend of mine that wrote an email to me this past week. In his letter, he rejoiced that in Amsterdam, they even have a whole area of the city where the men can go, and it's just like shopping at Macy's stores and Nordstrom's and all different stores. You go to a certain area of Amsterdam, and prostitutes are dressed up like the horror of Revelation 17 and 18 in just one storefront after another, and the men go shopping for prostitutes, and it's totally legal. Drugs are totally legal in Amsterdam. 
You can also go to Amsterdam and it's like they have a great big Mardi Gras and, and guys do all the kind of things that women do, all the kind of things they do down at the Mardi Gras in New Orleans and, and drinking and, and use of drugs and all that. Now, if I talk to you about that, what's your response to that? Horrors, right? Sure. You know, you, you, you think that's healing for society? My friend was actually writing the email saying, this is the utopia. This is where we need to go. This is what happens when people really give freedom to people. And you need to really pray for my friend. He really needs Jesus to come into his life. That's what he really needs. It's really to be easy to be horrified at his homosexuality, but you need to be just as horrified at heterosexual immorality. We need to be just as horrified at lying, just as horrified at, at the way we cheat one another because it all brings the curse of death. And then it creates a world where right becomes wrong and wrong becomes right. Like my friend's totally oblivious. What about those girls that are in those storefronts that have their personality just torn to smithereens because all they are is like a piece of beautiful, like a material. That's it. Just a thing that's used and bought and sold. My friend's totally oblivious. He thinks that's going to be utopia. What about the people who, who have their emotions torn apart? Not just the physical things from taking drugs freely, but what about the emotions and the, and the thinking that they're totally living in another world and they can never totally get their life together? See, this is the vanity fair. This is the vanity city that the evil one presents. But the Lord God of heaven is saying, one day the curse is going to be removed. And I want us, as we look at, like, one of the things I want you to get from this passage is you need to look at the present city that you're living in, the present world that you're living in. And I want you to look at the, what the curse of evil does. You parents say, well, how can I protect my kids? You know, how can I get my kids to live what is right? Hit them right in the face with what's really, really true. Hit them right with the real truth. Like if you're having trouble with your kids wanting to drink too much, then take them up to the third floor of an alcoholic's uh, center where they treat people and let those that are in the jaws of alcoholics abuse let them go and talk to those people you're having trouble with their sexuality hit them in the face with what sexual immorality does it produces a curse get someone about 30 years of age that had about 4 or 5 illegitimate babies and has been in and out of 4 or 5 husbands or, or get a, a guy that has been in, in and out of several different relationships Get them to really talk to your kids. Hit them right in the face with what real sin does. It's a curse. Satan makes sin look like it's really alluring and really attractive and really exciting. And, and we're being hit every time we turn around. But in reality, it's a curse. It produces death and suffering and hurt. And we have found the living water. We have found the tree of life that forever removes that curse. And oh, how we need to believe that. Like as we bring Jesus into people's lives today, we begin to, we, we get them started on a journey that's going to end at the fountain of life, at the living water, at the tree of life forever and ever. That's God's the only one they can promise. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. Rather than serving this present Babylonian system, we need to serve the Lord. Verse 4 and following is the most precious promise of all. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night there. They will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, 
and they will reign with him forever and ever. And they will see his face and his name will be on beyond their foreheads. The promise in the Old Testament, for example, if you turn back to Numbers, Numbers 6, verse 22. In fact, if you have some Jewish friends, this is the way that they'll bless you often when you leave a gathering with, with them. Numbers chapter 6, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons, This is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to us. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. We feel that we're going to find peace. We feel we're going to have safety by running away from the Lord. And what you've chosen to do today, like as, as we sing together, we are beholding with spiritual eyes, we're beginning to behold the face of God. You see, we didn't come here today. We didn't come here to be entertained. We didn't come here today just to have a good time meeting our friends. One of the things I wanted, want us to do, we need to realize we come to try to capture a glimpse, a spiritual glimpse of the face of God. In fact, Paul says right now we just see through a glass darkly, but one day we're going to see him face to face. You see, it's one thing to talk about this great eternal city that we're going to go to someday and drinking this water that we can enjoy someday and having this tree of life that we can eat and have healing someday and we can have the curse removed someday. But the incredible promise of the word of God for those that trust in Christ is today, if you have Christ in your life, then you begin to have eternity living inside of you. In other words, you can live close to God, close to the Lamb of God. Through the power of the Spirit, you can begin to enjoy God's presence right now today. It doesn't have to be just something that you look forward to when you're going to see him face to face. You need to look forward to that. And that's going to be an incredible day when we are able to look upon his face. And John, the apostle, even says, then we shall see him and we'll all be transformed and, and we'll be like him because we will see him as he is. And that great ultimate vision, the mystics of the Jewish faith and the Christian faith, their ultimate desire is for them to be able to go up in some kind of ecstasy and capture a glimpse of the face of God. That's the big dream of a mystic. They want to go into some kind of a trance and to be able to capture a glimpse of the face of God. The great thing I can tell you today, you don't have to go into a trance because you have the promise of the living God that one day, if Jesus comes back for you today, and if you, or if you die, then instantaneously you're going to be face to face with the living God. You're going to see him face to face. And the blessing of Numbers, chapter 6, may his, may, his bless, may his face shine upon you. You know what that means? It's the idea of, a, you know, like when a, when a father really loves his kids, and as the kids come home, the father's eyes just beam when he sees his kid. Where you think of someone that's in love, like a bridegroom that's in love, and he's standing in front of the church, and when his bride starts to walk the aisle, as soon as he sees, as he sees his bride coming down, his face shines upon her. You've all seen that, right? What it's saying here is that one day, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, then one day, God the Father, God the Son, their face is going to shine upon you. That's the idea that we will see him that we will see his face. His face will shine upon us. It was the great promise of the Psalms. The Psalms always talked about, they would pray, may his face shine upon us. May we see his face. You know, in the Old Testament, God wouldn't let Moses see his face. 
Moses was his great deliverer, the great prophet, delivered children of, of Israel out of Egypt. And, he, and Moses says, I'd like to see your face. And the Lord says, you can't see my face, you would die. So I'm going to hide you in the rock and I'll let you see just the tail end of my glory. And Moses had that experience. But you know, what we're seeing here is ultimately in the eternity, we're going to have the full revelation face to face with God and my Savior. Face to face, how can it be? That's what the promise is. That's what we sing about. And so in other words, we look at the internal layout of the eternal city. We saw the external layout last week. Now we look at the internal layout. We see a city that's centered on the throne of God. Out of the throne of God comes the living water of this beautiful stream. That living water produces these incredible trees that produce fruit that bring healing to all the nations. And then ultimately, the whole curse is removed. There's no longer any crying, no more death. And everyone can just get face to face with the living God. In this city, you don't have any veils, no curtains separating us from God. Instead, you just have this gigantic city where everybody in the city can see God face to face. They can enjoy that relationship with him. It says that they'll serve him continually, just forever. There's no more night there, no more need for rest. They just serve God continually. The Lord wants us to get an early start on that. He wants you to decide this week, who are you going to serve? Who are you going to live for? Who are you going to build your life on? He wants you to build that intimacy. What I want you to see is that through the power of the Holy Spirit living in your life, you can read the word of God and have God talk to you this week. You can pray this weekend and you can talk to God. You can begin to live with God. It's one of the most beautiful things that a believer can do to learn to live daily with God. As you come to time to worship, you say, Dave, what is worship? Worship is allowing your heart to bow before God, to humble yourself before God, to stand before his throne, and to let him be the one that's the center of attention. Let him be the one that's praised, and learn to enter into that. What I want you to get at from this passage is you go out into the, the beautiful natural world and you go to places like Colorado and you go to places in Montana and when you see the sunlight hit that water, I want you to remember that God is proclaiming to you one day I'm going to overcome all the lost sons and all the sons that threw away their gift of grace. If they'll only come to the Savior, if they'll only trust what Jesus has done, then there's a river runs through it and there's an ultimate answer because the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, can cleanse us from every sin. You see, the beautiful Montana River couldn't save Paul. No river can, except the river I talked about today. Jesus is the river that can help boys that have incredible gifts but have an evil curse in their life. Jesus, the real living relationship, not just Presbyterianism, not just being a Baptist, not just being an Episcopalian, not just being a Roman Catholic. Religion can't take the curse out of Paul's soul. But the river runs through it could have had a totally different ending if the living reality of the person of Jesus would have been able to enter Paul's life. Fly fishing can't save anybody. But the beauty of the light shimmering off a Montana stream is shouting, there's a need for grace. There's a great, good God that's full of beauty and love. And ultimately, that leads to a message about the Son of God, Jesus, that can enter our lives, that can help us not to gamble ourselves to death, that can help us not to be immoral, that can help us not to have to get involved in murderous violence. Jesus is the one 
that can help us to know that we're going to go to a land that's going to be a combination of the most beautiful, glorious city you've ever seen and the most beautiful countryside, the most beautiful country scene you've ever seen. Combine the most beautiful city and the most beautiful country together, and you've caught just a little tiny postcard glimpse of what we're going to be enjoying forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that a river does run through it. And I thank you that it's the river of life, the river of the Lord Jesus, and I thank you that it flows from your throne. Lord, we have to be obedient to you. We have to bow face to face before you today. We need to let you be the throne that we're controlled by. We think of some of our loved ones that aren't here with us today, but they're enjoying that fountain of living water. They're actually seeing those trees today. They're seeing beautiful sights that we can't even imagine. And I would ask you, Lord, that through the eyes of faith that you would help us to encourage each other to serve you and to love you and to believe that these promises, Lord, it's these precious promises that are going to lift us out of depression, that are going to lift us out of getting discouraged about life, that when we face some of the rough times, Lord, what we've shared today, if we capture a vision of, of this beautiful home that you have for us, we will have grabbed a hold of a vision that will never disappoint, that will never wear out, that will never prove to be unfulfilling. And so, Lord, I would pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would help us to have a great yearning for this incredible, beautiful garden, the Garden of Eden that's going to last forever and ever and ever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.